It's four o'clock on a Monday. You know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Woohoo, baby! This week, starring special guest stars Mr. Michael Lloyd and the always late Rob Shirelli. Woohoo! And once again, Rob is late. And thank you, fake band. Thank you, fake audience. He's late, but not forgotten. No, he's stuck in an Uber on the 101. Hi, Michael. How are you? Hi, hi. <laughs> stuck in what the hell Uber. kind of handshake was that? Well, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I know you're holding a pen. It's hard to hold two things. And by the way, in 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 uh, tribute to Rob. Yes. <laughs> just going to tap the. Shirelli's never been on the show. There you are. Shirelli's uh, never been on the show without tapping his pen right in front of the microphone. So I put a note on a piece of paper in front of the microphone. That says, "Don't tap the pencil." Right. Or whatever it says. Yeah. Don't tap your pencil. Anyway, um, so that's that. But you know what? Rob should be here any minute because he's in an Uber, and the Uber says it's going to be here at four o five, which is exactly one minute from now. Well, no, actually, by this it says three minutes from now. Yeah. So um, I am going to tell you guys about today's show because how often do you get to hang out with two like, you know, there's producers and then there's platinum or gold level producers and then there are producers that between them have somewhere around probably over 200 gold and platinum records to their name. So that's today's show. When are they getting here? <laughs> you you've got over a hundred now, right? Oh, like yeah, like a hundred and twenty. Okay, so then we have yeah, like, just, you know whatever. Right. <laughs> All right, so um, I am going to read Michael's bio, and I'm going to read it really slow so that Rob, <laughs> so that Rob can, can, can can drift in. Yes, he can. He always drifts in that one. Okay. Michael Lloyd was vice president of A&R for MGM Records by the age of 20. That is pretty unbelievable. And for more than 45 years, uh, has been producing producing hit records, soundtracks, earning more than 105 gold and platinum awards, uh, a diamond award, and selling over 170 million records. Um, He's buying me a new house soon. You have no idea how hard it was to buy all those records, <laughs> the room it takes. Oh Neil God. Young did that once with a record that I worked on him with. Uh, he comes a time he bought 200,000 copies because he didn't like the way the, the mastering went right. or the pressing. Right. Uh, anyway, some of the artists Michael's worked with include Barry Manilow, Mike Love and the Beach Boys, Sugar Ray, Lou Rawls, that makes me jealous, mm. Sylvie Vartan, Sean Cassidy, Belinda Carlisle, uh, the Monkees, the Bellamy Brothers, the Osmonds, Donnie and Marie. I always laugh at this one. Striper and how he's going to say they were awesome. Hey, they were great. Let me yeah, tell you. There you go. Uh, Sammy Davis Jr. How impressive is that? Bill Medley, the Righteous Brothers, Debbie Boone, Kimberly Locke, Air Supply, and Frank Sinatra, just to name a few. Keep going. I just want to touch you because you work with Frank. Is there more? Um, no, it says just to name a few. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he was the music supervisor <laughs> for the film Dirty Dancing. He wrote the Latin dance music for the Patrick and Jennifer uh, for Patrick and Jennifer to dance to, oh. uh, and produced the Dirty Dancing soundtrack album. He's also done the scoring, the music supervision, the songwriting, song placement, and/or producing music for over two hundred motion pictures. TV movies, TV specials, and television series. His chart record spans six decades from the 60s to the present. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, Mr. Michael Lloyd. Yeah, baby. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. 
And now for our next guest. <laughs> and he's just showing right up. Right on cue. Right, yeah. right, yeah. right on cue. That I had them prepped. Hi, Rob. What's up, fellas? <laughs> Hi, uh, don't tap your pencil. Okay. Look at your nice. piece of paper in front of your seat. Why? What's wrong with my... Because every time you're on the show, you tap yeah, your pencil. You wouldn't, right? you wouldn't give you one. You wouldn't give you one. That's all right. We'll go by memory. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, uh, so the Rob Shirelli has joined us. Uh, he's not okay. really on camera. Rob, can you scoot in? Guys, I need you both to scoot closer to me. Settle down. We're talking here. I know, but I want you in frame so the audience can see you. Okay. See, that ain't gonna work. See, he, my see. camera adjustment tool. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Well, as yeah, long as, as, long as I'll I lean, lean this like way. That. Yeah, that's good. That's, um, good. that's a little disturbing, but okay. <laughs> All right. And now he's backwards. It's weird. Yep. That's the camera. Uh, <laughs> All right, Rob Shirelli is oh, American. Stop. Can we not do no, this? No, I have to. No, I like I it. Have I, to I want to hear because I was YouTube exaggerated. No, but no, YouTube likes this. If I don't say this, YouTube doesn't like the video. But you exaggerate everything. No, I didn't. I'm not even going to mention the number this time. Don't say any of that. It embarrasses me. Rob Shirelli is an American record producer, mix engineer, and musician. Published author, wrote a book on playing bass. What's That's the name right. of that book? Playing bass. The Electric Bass Bible, Dexterity Exercises, Volume 1. Wow. How about there you that? Go. Wow. Uh, volume 1. Did That's you ever write Volume 2? I did. I have not sent it in. <laughs> to, um, uh, what is it? Uh, okay, he's a published author, and he's a multiple Grammy Award winner. He's widely recognized as a music producer for Will Smith and Men in Black 2. Uh, Rob's work appears on numerous gold and platinum albums and motion picture soundtracks, including nine Grammy winners. Mm. As a mix engineer record producer, Shirelli, as we call him, has worked with such well-known artists as Will Smith, Christina Aguilera, Leanne Rimes, Kirk Franklin, Mary Mary. She liked her name so much he went with it twice. Yeah, it's a they, uh, but it's a they. Cool. Uh, Janet Jackson. <laughs> uh, didn't you used to work with an artist named Mary Mary? Yeah, that a was different a one. Different, uh, yeah, different, but different how many girl. people have worked with Mary Mary twice? That'd be like Mary 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 Mary. That's right. Uh, Mary Mary Square. <laughs> Janet Jackson, I've heard of her. Jermaine Jackson, Stevie Wonder, Kiko Masui, uh, Coolio, Ray Charles, American Idol, Pink. Enough already. Johnny Math uh, Johnny Mathias, Johnny Mathis, uh, Paul Abdul, Diana Ross, and Vogue, Ice Cube, Four Tops. Yeah, yeah. This is from his website. You can go there because he gets embarrassed when I read it out. Um, it goes on. It Some does. More. It does. Anyway, um, hi Rob. How was how was that uh, riding the Uber today? Good. He was he was gassing it. Or else that'd have been even later. <laughs> oh jeez. Well, in this episode, now you get to ask two record producers any oh. questions you want, and we've got some it. that came in. All right, I have on a few the questions. internet. I do have questions for you guys. If I get to ask questions, and uh, okay, I get to ask two record okay. producers. Okay. All right. That's good. Um, I like that. Let's see. Okay, yes, I will give you a shot to ask your okay. questions, but not at the beginning of the show. Okay. Rob made it. Yeah. Okay, first I want to say welcome, taxi people. Yeah. By the way, these Great guys were rally. awesome at the road rally this year. We Both were, these guys we just were. knocked out of the park. They do you every were. year, we but this were good. We were you, great. my friend, have a gift. <laughs> what, no, you. you. What, you. Was, no. what was the thing? I concur. I concur. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that was so great. I always feel bad. These two, I always put them together on the last panel of the road rally, which we affectionately call the happy ending panel because oh. we're happy that the rally is ending. Oh. 
Um, anyway, uh, every year we have one or two people that have never been on that panel join us. And the looks on the faces when you're sitting out in the audience like I am looking up at you guys, mm. the looks on the faces of the new people on the panel once we get rolling is just like, what, what the hell doing? am I doing? Yeah. Here? How did I get myself <laughs> into this? It's pretty funny. They they look they look scared. Uh, they really do. Who, really? I can't remember who we, we had on there were with. Great. They were good. I thought. I thought, I thought they so. were really good this year. I thought they were. The funny thing is, I thought they were more comfortable. Yeah. The, the new people on well, the panel. Well, anybody. I just thought some of the older ones and some and the new ones. I thought they were comfortable. Yeah, yeah. It, great. I thought the whole thing felt real comfortable this year. It did. For, for the, great for road them, rally. For them. I mean, for Thank Robin. Yeah, for Robin, me, it's always pretty comfortable. <laughs> but you know, I thought they felt more comfortable. You know, yeah. I really okay. do. I really, I think, I think not as comfortable as Ron Harris felt two years ago when we had the little uh, little, little yeah alcohol. one of our oh. panelists well, i didn't know that one of our panelists had never had a drop of alcohol in his life and one of our members a guy named jan bars from the netherlands brought me this alcohol that you can only get in the netherlands um i saw a tv show about it once so he brought me a bottle of this stuff and it's kind of like cinnamon flavored liqueur <laughs> so i poured a shot for everybody in the last panel we're all exhausted we thought it would be fun to have a little drink you know to cap off the weekend ron harris got so plastered it was awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, ever since like i mean right. 10 years ago or something on the little okay Guys, when you're at, at, there, uh, they are. Okay, when you're at a, a um, convention and there's a panel, they have like little name, place names, things that share your name. Okay, on the back of them, there's just, that's the back, and it could be you know white or something. And so one year, Rob was saying things that you know they weren't that nice, and so I wrote on the back, "Be nice." Now, every year he writes on my paper, "Be nice." It's literally the funniest thing in the world. Anyway, you kind of had to be there. Well, you're nice. Oh gosh. No, I'm glad we've got that worked oh, out, so guys. Fun. So let's start with the first yeah, question, good. which is from Stephen Carey Bruce. He says, "Hi, Rob and Michael. I love you guys. Thank you for your fun and I compassionate way you educate us." Question. I have a Martin Tenor ukulele, or as we say in Hawaii, mm. ukulele. Oh, wow. It sounds best being strummed at the 14th fret, meaning my hand and wrist are in front of the sound hole. How do I mic it in my home recording studio? Wow, he's playing at the he's playing up here. No, he's strumming up there. Yeah. Oh, he's strumming here. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. If it helps in your answer, I have the Townsend Sphere microphone with all the mic models. I can't say that I even know that microphone. Yeah. Do you record ukulele a lot? I have. Um, you want to take it? No, go, go. Now we'll, we'll both say something. Didn't you so, work with Hoku? No. Well, I use it on a lot of Beach Boy records because it's Brian used to use it. Well, I'll tell you what. So here's what I do with any <laughs> instrument, right? Is that I'll I'll listen to find where the sweet spot is. I'll move around and then I'll put the mic right there. So those of you who have never mic'd an instrument. That's an easy way to start, right? Yeah, unless it's a Marshall cabinet. <laughs> there is no sweet spot. Well, no, your your hearing will be exactly. gone by the time yeah. you figure out where so, to put the mic. What what mic do you use? Um, it depends on the instrument. I like to hear the you know a great mic for that stuff is the Shep CMC5, which I like on acoustic guitar and mm -hmm. the um, mm -hmm. uke. It sounds great, um, but you can get a good uke sound. It's not like you need. A, you can get a good uke. A forty-seven. Or you can put a fifty-seven on it. it would okay. probably sound fine. So what do you like? Okay, so so this goes back probably influenced by Wrecking Crew times. Hmm. So the the ukulele, um, Brian used to use like on, oh, on Wouldn't It Be Nice and all those, it, there's, it's it's on there. 
And now he would put it with other instruments, but that's what gets kind of this weird sound. So mm. anyway, um, since there weren't a lot of mics that they had available in those days, because you only had imp consoles that had like 12 inputs. Only Mike Lloyd and Mike Love. Yeah, right. So, but anyway, so they only had like Gold Star, you know, and Studio Three. They didn't have, they had small consoles and they were, you know, round knobs. And so anyway, a lot of times they just stick a dynamic mic on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of that was because of leakage, because it was all done at the same time. Oh, that makes you, you know, sense, six, yeah. seven guys, and and so they would put a dynamic mic on it. So the times that I've been recording ukulele recently, is I play it in the control room, and I will set an old RE20 mm. microphone on the console. <laughs> <laughs> that I use for acoustic guitar and singing and everything. <laughs> and I just sit it there and then I just play it. You should call your next album Electro Voice. Yeah, exactly. And I just play it. Not and 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 so um, now I've got a Fender ukulele and then I have some kind of a Hawaiian ukulele that's a nice ukulele. And mm. and they sound different because the Fender is kind of a tenor ukulele, right? A little bigger mm. and the other smaller. But... Um, so I, I haven't had, and, and I'm doing this alone, so I don't have too much the opportunity to screw around with it and find that. But Rob is saying what you really do is what, that's really what you should do with all, all kinds of instruments, mm -hmm. is listen, like you just said, find the sweet spot. Mm -hmm. And 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 maybe, maybe you try a couple, it depends on your, your microphone availability, right? Maybe you try a couple of microphones, but yeah, I'm not a big fan of the uh, modeling microphones, personally. Oh yeah, I'm I I'm I haven't used those much. They're Speaking okay. of I'm modeling, not, I'm not going to throw them under the bus. Yeah, I haven't I, used them. I want to plug a product. Okay. Um, Is it a modeling mic? No, it's it's this thing from Moore in China. Um, what is it? It is. The Moor, I forget the model it's number. It's like an amp modeler, right? Uh, it is an amp modeler, and oh. it's 400 bucks, and they sent me one. I got to say, I love this thing. Is it, is it, is it uh, um, so, so you, it's not controlled by any computer thing, right? It's all hardware? Uh, it's hardware, but you can control it with an app on your phone. Oh, really? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, so the good people at Moor sent me this, and I wouldn't plug it if I really, truly didn't believe it Do was they have awesome. any more? Of the lure, <laughs> I tried to get them to send me one to give away at the road rally. I got to tell you guys. Oh, look at that! This thing, um, people are comparing it to the Kemper. No uh, way. Yeah, they really truly are. Wow. Let me yeah. see the front. The thing is oh, awesome. Oh, it's heavy. It's, it's yeah. It's a, a solid it. piece of preamp live. Yep. That's that. what it's it called. The Moore preamp thing. live. That's yeah. yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And they Never didn't pay me in. to say that. They did send me a unit. So, so again, what? What determines go. how do you how do you select to what to? Um, by pressing these very, it's it's a oh, stopbox, but I it see. works well in the studio, and wow. everything is um, you know dynamically adjustable, and it's got all kinds of inputs. It has an XLR output too. Yeah, I barely use this thing because the road rally was coming up. But wow. I got to tell you, the little bit that I've done just plugging in my wow. Strat and very listening cool. to it on headphones. Yeah. The thing sounds amazing. Oh, oh yes. Like oh, see, that's interesting because you can use it on headphones if you were someplace and you had to... Oh, there nice. you go. Yeah. Pretty cool. Nice. Okay, very so nice. anyway... Um, so anyway, ukulele. So that's the... I, I want to... Rob, Rob is talking about it as, as if you're really recording something. I do it because I have no choice. But he's talking about that's the right way to do it. So you guys, I'm sure, remember the legendary record producer, Tom Dowd. Um, you know, Aretha Franklin, oh, yeah. Clapton, Almond Brothers, all that stuff. 
So I was at Criteria Studios, my alumni in Miami, a couple of days before the road rally uh, for a reunion. And just a bunch of amazing engineers, producers were there. And Tom Dowd has passed away years ago, uh, but his daughter was there. And so at some point I was getting a tour of the new updated Criteria and she was a couple people behind me in this line of, of people getting the tour. And I walked into one of the studios, Studio B, and I'm telling the story about how I was working as the assistant to the assistant engineer. Um, it's like the first 30 days I worked in the industry on a record called There's One in Every Crowd by Eric Clapton. Mm. Tom Dowd was engineering and producing on it. Mm. Uh, everybody was leaving to go to lunch or something. He said, hang out with me. Said, okay. Mm, wow. So I didn't know anything about anything. And he says to me, you want to know how to get a great acoustic guitar sound? And I said, yeah. He goes, okay, then get down on your knees. And I turned white. Huh. And he goes, not for that, you idiot. Oh. <laughs> and so he said to me, get down on your knees and move your ear around. He said, Let, tell me when it sounds good. So I'm down there and he's strumming like an open G chord. And I go, right there. He goes, okay, that's where you put the microphone. Now you know how to get a good acoustic wow. guitar. And were you, were you close to the instrument? or um, I was about a foot away. Oh, so you were moving around in the vicinity of the of the actual box. Yeah. Uh, and and well, you could tell really this by turning your, and all of a sudden you'd hit the sweet spot and you'd go, wow, it so sounds do, amazing. Do you so do put that the microphone. For an acoustic there. guitar too? Or do I do. The same I do kind it. of thing. Yeah, I do it with everything. Yeah, no. Except the Marshall space. cabinet. Well, you know, come on. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really good. See, now, guys, he's telling you stuff that you're not going to learn anywhere because everything's programmed. And, yeah. and, and you wonder, oh, a guitar, wow, what do you do with this? And so you just kind of stick a mic there. Well, should you have the chance to record uh, an, an acoustic instrument, whether it's a violin or a piano or whatever, he's telling you things that are invaluable. Uh, this is stuff you, it just doesn't Most happen Most books today. won't tell you no, that. No, they don't happen today. All right, it's not complicated, though. No, it's not. It seems simple. It, it does, but it, it, it is complicated to someone that isn't at all mm. familiar with the process. You know, right. what's, okay. what's the patch for a piano? Oh, I don't like that. What's another patch? Oh, okay, that's fine. Don't tap the table by the microphone. And remember, be nice. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, Michael moving piano's on. piano's a whole other thing. Go ahead. <laughs> moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Margot Malia Music wants to know, that's an odd last name, can you sense or hear artistic talent of a singer slash songwriter through an okay recording quality? Um, should an artist get professional recording and mastering to help? And can great music get away with being recorded at home? PJ Harvey recorded an entire album on a four track. Thank you. Hello from Saratoga Springs, New York. Well, hello, Saratoga Springs. I hope you're on the... Lots of good questions there. Yeah, so Lots let's start out with, can either or both of you guys detect amazing talent on a crappy recording, a mediocre recording? Let's go with mediocre. Like, you know, it sounds okay. I think so. I mean, I, I mean put it, let's look at the opposite. If you put me on a million dollar microphone and a million dollar tape recorder and let me go to town singing, you're gonna know that I don't have it, right? <laughs> but if you put Paul McCartney on an SM57, you're gonna say, well, that's the guy, right? So you can take it from there. I, I think that if, if we're in this business, um, one would hope that we have the ability to hear through certain things. Not just mm -hmm. that, but maybe a bad demo of a song. Mm -hmm. um, Maybe um, the song isn't there, but whoever put together the demo is cool, and we'd like to know who that is. Right. Um, so I think that talent and abilities are things that uh, don't get disguised. 
Now, if someone was recording on some horrible thing that has scratchy noises and things like that, and you can't discern it, well, okay, obviously. It'd have to be pretty scratchy. Yeah, it had to be pretty bad. So I've heard, I've heard all kinds of things over the last 100,000 years that, uh, <laughs> that, that, that have been all over the place, all over the place. And mm -hmm. um, I know that Rob has too, and that these kind of things, uh, sometimes that's how you find the great stuff of whatever yep. it is. Diamond in the rough. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I, so I would say don't do the best you can. Don't worry about mastering, but do the best you can to to present your work, whatever that is. Um, but concentrate on vocal and song. Yep. You know, the recording. Do the best you can, but you know that that's something that perhaps takes longer. But you know, first uh, few weeks of taxi, I got a cassette in the mail, and all it said was like Mrs. Johnson on it. Yeah. No phone number. Oh, and it had the name Boyfriend was the title of the song. Mm. No phone number, no email address. I'm not even sure email was invented yet. And I put this thing in cassette player, hit play, and it was three women. They sounded like they were African-American. They were amazing vocalists. And they were just doing a, a hip-hop beat on a table with their hands. Oh, wow. And you could hear the kitchen. And they sang this song called Boyfriend. It was a rap song, uh, and it was just friggin' amazing. Mm. So I sent it to Craig Kalman at Atlantic Records. I think he was like VP of A&R at the time. Maybe he was already president level by then. And he said to me, I would sign this in a minute. Get me in touch with these people. I couldn't. Oh, I was never able to find them. And, oh. and it sounded like they recorded it on a realistic oh. cassette deck in oh. mono. You know, oh, I mean, it was just, so but it didn't matter because the song was so good. Their voices blended so well in the spirit. No one ever knew who they were. Nobody. Oh, my gosh. All right, moving on. This That's one's horrible. from Sherry Lynn. Um, I'm at a point where I can get a pretty solid production and mix, but still can't get that extra, extra little je ne sais quoi of a hit record. Very few people can. Uh, what are your favorite tricks for intermediate mixers to get a mix to really pop? That's mm. a good question. Rob will know this. How do you add, is there a je ne sais quoi? Is that French? Yeah. Portuguese? It, it's French. <laughs> um, because you know me, I'm multilingual. Um, I actually, I flunked French 101 four years in a row, but I can say je ne sais quoi like a mother. You know, it's it's an interesting question. You know, mixing is is kind of trippy because um, sometimes, you know, uh, I feel like the less I do, the better the mix is. You know, less is more sometimes, and other times I have to kind of carve things. But um, I I think that um, I get asked similar questions, and I'm sure I've answered in a number of times on Taxi TV about mixes, and it's it's. It's the vibe. It really is. I mean, it's it's the vibe of the song. It's not the audio perfection of it, and that's easy to sort of lose sight of. So I'm answering this in kind of a roundabout way, but you know, if you listen to Tequila or Louie Louie or some of those records, it, I mean, they are not engineering marvels, you know. But, <laughs> but the vibe on there is great that you can't even duplicate now you could never replicate how that record feels and i think that that's the you know the idea is that we try to go after uh, i'm sure you agree but i'd like to hear what you guys have to say we go over about capturing that moment and the vibe and the spirit of the thing and it's and i think it's easy to get caught up these days in the technical part once you have the vibe guess what you do print it yep 
Don't mix it to death. That's, you know, that's how I approach it. What do you guys think? I couldn't agree more, but I didn't know that until I worked with Neil Young, and he said to me, you spend way too much time worrying about faders, knobs, and buttons. It's Barry Manilow. <laughs> we'll have to call. That's, that's incredible. Uh, Anyway, uh, yeah, Neil said to me, uh, actually, on the Comes a Time record, he said, you can no longer use a limiter or equalizer. I want you to listen to the performance and capture the moment. Mm. I love it. What and, do you think? And you? I think that um, the reason that those records were so great back then is because no one postponed decisions. <sighs> So, That's a quotable quote. Yeah, you, uh, I love that. Right, you had to commit. When because I cut a vocal, I punch it and I'm done. I don't have 30 tracks to comp really? next week. Yeah, no it, chance, man. Yeah, I make you, the decisions. Right, you got to make decisions. And and so as time went on, from when I started mono and stereo. Yeah. Right, well, you <laughs> you know there weren't any. You couldn't postpone anything. You did it. Then. Four track came along and it was like, oh my gosh, four track. What, how, what are we going to waste so many tracks? And then, then eight track, 16, 24. Certainly you would never need more than 24 tracks, right? Certainly never. Then it was locking machines together. 48. For Dirty Dancing, I locked three 24 tracks. Are you kidding? Together. So I think they did that on Queen stuff. I mean, they locked machines together. But any, I mean, 48 track was very commonplace. So the, the and then when, when the digital came along, well, now you've got kind of unlimited tracks. It's not yes, 48, do. it's 123. So all that did was postpone decisions. When I was there with Phil Spector, as he was recording Love and Feel on the track. Oh, mm -hmm. my God. Ooh, there was a room full of musicians, and the room was not big, Gold Star, you know? So it wasn't big. A couple of drummers, a couple of percussionists, a mm -hmm. couple of keyboard players, maybe four guitar players. I'm doing this from memory, and I'm not too sure because it's a little hazy. A couple of bass players maybe three bass players, um, all in the same room. And again, remember, just a dozen microphones. Yeah. So sometimes you had one microphone kind of on two percussionists or whatever. And they would have them play it and play it and play it. And, 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 and they would, you know, adjust the mix so they got it just right, you know, whatever it was. And then they would record it. And it was mono, just mono. Yeah. So... Well, they had to get it. They couldn't come exactly. back they the could, next day. And yeah, they, they couldn't come back next day, nor could they say the next day or later that day, geez, you know, could we raise the bass a little? No, no. It's, <laughs> you can turn the bass control up. You can get more. But, you know, there's nothing to do. So they would get it so that it felt, to your point, that it mm. felt just right. And, and then hopefully as they push the button, they'd play it all the way through without a mistake. But getting back to Louie Louie, there is a mistake in Louie Louie. The singer, Plenty of them. <laughs> yeah, but, but the singer is going to come in. He's going to come in. He comes in at the wrong spot, spot in the towards right. after the solo. <laughs> uh, fat, you hear him start to sing, and oh my gosh, it's the wrong time. <laughs> they never went back and changed it. That's great. Oh it's no, true. it'll be okay. So that's your final answer: is go for the vibe and go for the if, performance. If can, and don't you, worry about all the knobs, that, buttons. Yeah, and, if you can get that, that that's the all, all we're trying to do with knobs and buttons and plugins and all this is to somehow fix something or somehow enhance something or whatever, but. Don't postpone if you can avoid it. And I get caught up in it. I, mm. Just don't postpone decisions. That's a great piece of advice. I've got to say, I've been doing this a long time. Nobody's ever 
put it quite that way. Good. I got to show you something if I can find it in 10 seconds or less because you brought up Phil Spector. Oh, is it the pin? Even better. It's a Christmas card from Phil. Somehow I got on Phil wow, Spector's Christmas great. card list. Is that from prison? Yeah. <laughs> Phil sends me Christmas cards from prison every year. Is that right? Thank you, Phil. I love you, dude. Uh, listen, I, I love Phil, too. I'm, I mean, when I met him when I was like 13 or 14 at Gold Star, I remember once him listening to the track of Love and Feeling, and it was this weird area outside the studio, and there was a... Uh, Altec Lansing 604E speaker in this mm -hmm. gray box. That's what everybody used. Right. And, and, and he was like right up on it, just like this listening, you know. And I guess it was part of the mastering area or something. I, I have a confusing thought about it. Yeah. And it was all mono. And he was just listening so intently to it, you know. And you've got to think, what an incredible genius, right? If he could hear anything from a 604, well, but that, that's what that, everybody, that but, took a certain but, amount of genius. That's well, what a genius. And, <laughs> Sorry, and, and, and then, and then you know, with Clive Davis or with uh, Geffen or who knows, yeah. lots of different people, Irving Azoff, these genius guys, you know, that somehow molded things. And but again, it was even when the Eagles were making records and all, it was 24 track, and you know, they they never postponed right. decisions. They just, they had to do it. That's because Bill Simzik, their engineer, grew up, you know. They had to do it. They had to do it. The Beatles had him. to do it, you know. They had to do it. <laughs> anyway. All right, next question. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, there's your answer, Sherry Lynn. You know what? There is no magic mix button. It, it, it's, it's all about the, the song, the performance, and probably the arrangement. You Use know? your ears. Less is more. Use your ears. Um, Suze Doyle says, I spent my teen years playing from the 1990s through the big band era. Wow. Um, from the 1990s, 1900, sorry, through the big band era. So that's, yeah, that's what she played. The music of this really oldies era has lyrics and melodies that continue to be relevant today and work well, whether performed by everything from full big bands and orchestras to simple solo voice slash single instrument. Yeah. Music from the 60s mm. through the early 2000s also stands the test of time for similar reasons. However, it seems as though the trend of current popular music includes repetitive chord changes and more limited melodies that are very production and percussive slash beats dependent. I, are one, Roman numeral one, do you think music can be interpreted by multiple styles of musicians, including solo artists and simple arrangements, or do you think it can translate well to future generations? Do you think that music, the, the what music she's current, talking about? Current music. Oh, current music. Yeah. No, no, I don't. Okay. I don't think it's, I don't think it's, you can duplicate it. I think it's all, uh, it's so record dependent and right. sound dependent. And is that the cool snare drum? And is that the right loop? And is all of this? I don't. I think there are very, very few songs today that can last a long time because of that. Um, it's not a judgment thing. I'm not disrespecting anybody. I think it's just the nature of how things have evolved, and that's why um, you hear songs like she's just saying. You hear songs from eras long past that are Coke commercials, or you know. The commercials for uh, some uh, other thing, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Some other thing. Right. I, I think that that is 
the, I think that's one of the biggest problems with today's music is it's not. Um, I, I don't. I don't think it has the legacy effect. I don't think it has that. I think it's very short-lived. I agree. Um, I and I, when I say that, I feel like my father looking I know, at me, I know, I know, watching I, me, me listen to Beatle records. I know, I know. Uh, and I, know. I wonder if it's just a generational thing. But yeah, you know, I, I remember when grunge came out, saying I wouldn't want to be the publisher of that stuff because you'll never get a cover on any of it. I did. I have heard two good covers of Smells Like Teen Spirit and a few others. But for the most so part, that's rare. kind of a dead zone uh, so of rare. stuff to cover because so the songs just weren't. I have an coverable. article. I have an thought article. I was going to say not that good, right? No, I wouldn't do that because I get no, a bunch of nasty emails. No, it's, it's coverable. It's and, and here's something. Don't play it. No, 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 no. It's a, it's it's. A, this if you came play from, music then. No, no, no. This is. I'm just going to read something. Oh, the, okay. Just even the headline. Um, Millennials prefer music from the '60s to recent hits. There study you go. finds. This is from February of this year, um, and this came out of I guess the UK. Uh, no, it was even in New York. Uh, all of this stuff, 643 participants between the ages of 18 and 25, blah, 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 maintained a steady memory of top tunes that came out between 60 and 1999. And I think that, and, and that could be all kinds of music, obviously, it's not just one thing, but, but what that shows you is that that music does have the legacy effect. Yep. And unfortunately, maybe the nature of how people write songs now they don't, they don't sit down at the piano or a guitar or something like that generally and write a song. Someone comes in, well, what's the beat? And then they do a top line, right? They put a melody on it, top of something. It's tough for songwriters that actually write a song these days to break in. you got to be part of a crew or it's, a posse or, you yeah, know. Or part of the 11 people that yeah. are writing the song. So, no, I, I mean, what do you think about, about that, about the songs from today being, you know, would you hear them in Nordstrom's on the piano 10 years from now? Generally... The piano in Nordstrom's drives me nuts. <laughs> I think um, that's where I met Chuck Henry. Our probably highest income earning taxi member was oh, under wow. an escalator playing piano in Nordstrom. Wow, anyway, awesome! Yeah, I think there are great songs now, and I think that they're going to stand the test of time. But I, th I think that a lot of it is production driven and it's disposable. But there was a lot of disposable music in the '60s too, you know. I I feel hey man, like don't pick on Hang On Sloopy, okay? Yeah, but I it love was that song. But it was disposable. It was disposable, but somehow it still lasted. Some of those one-hit wonder guys, they still lasted. And my fear is, outside of maybe an Ed Sheeran song or an Adele song or maybe a Taylor Swift or maybe a Bruno Mars, when you start getting into some of the uh, other type of things that don't have it's more of a record they well, don't now that you've said it in those terms I agree yeah I think that the I mean there are obviously some but yeah. but it's not near what there was and and this research when I read it I thought I was shocked actually because I didn't think that'd be the case yeah and uh, but I have met a but I just met a 13 year old kid at the rally hmm. when we left I met him at the rally he was there and and his mother and father are teachers school teachers okay and and this kid I said, what what kind of music do you like? Oh, I like uh, Leonard Skinner. I like Almond Brothers. I like blah blah blah. That's what I listen to. Is that the drummer kid? No, he's a guitar player, singer, had long hair. Um, Name Owen. Anyway. Yeah, I remember him. You remember meeting him? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I saw him the other day, and and this is all that he aspires to. Wow. Is that? And when you hear him sing, he's 12 years old. When you hear him sing, "Ain't No Sunshine," I mean. 
He says, this is what I want to do. Oh. Now, I'm, I'm not saying everybody should be that way or anything. I'm just saying that those influences are m much more vast than I would have thought. I would give up half of this finger to record a record like Almond Brothers, oh, you yeah. know, Eat a Peach. Um, just, with, I, I love bands that can play a song from top to bottom with the full band. All at just, the same time. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I fantasize. Rob introduced me to a studio in North Hollywood called Sphere, I don't know, a year and a half ago or something. Is that the and one I went to? Yep. That has all the Oh, yeah, you were there with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. And, and I love that room. Oh, I just, you know, yeah, I, I get excited. I am that guy. When I walk into a restaurant, I clap my hands. Yeah, go, wow, that make a great studio. It was great. Sphere sounded right to me. Yeah, and I would love to get five pieces live in that room for a Saturday and just go, Play some songs, guys. Well, the other day, Barry had a session. Just when he one, says one Barry, song, he means Manuel. And he had Greg Fields playing drums, Chuck Berghoffer playing stand-up bass, Yeah. Um, who was playing guitar, a guy named Ken, Ken Barry who was playing guitar, an incredible guitar player, and, uh, and Randy Waldman playing piano. So all four of those guys, and it was a kind Why'd of... Why Barry have somebody else playing piano? That's funny. Well, he's, he can listen. Okay. And, and uh, because Barry's a great... Uh, player, but, but yeah. he has to listen. So uh, this guy copped what Barry was playing, and um, it was a kind of a jazzish swing thing. My gosh, it was great! And anytime you can get these legendary guys—I mean, Greg's Grammy-winner producer, not just a drummer—and you get these guys together playing. Oh my gosh, it's like incredible! Now you understand what music is all about. Yep. You know, I had it just fantastic. Man, we're getting old that we miss that stuff. But, you know, well, no, right. I, I think that, I mean, studies like this that, that say that people like those songs, well, they sound a different way. It's everybody playing in large part. My daughter, Hannah, she and I love to go hang out in my car in the driveway and just crank it up. And, and she will go to the, the store. We actually go to the record store and she'll buy me five records, I'll buy her five records, and we go sit in the driveway and just crank it up in my car and listen to... And the what stuff, record store do you go to? Um, <laughs> Barnes, like Barnes and Noble, because oh, it's one close to our house right. and we still sell they CDs, still sell but we'll CDs. sit there and listen. And she almost always picks classic rock and she says this stuff's just more listenable. Yeah. She, she loves pop hits, but... By the no, way, I do too. Uh, Hannah's on her. She's over the Atlantic as we speak. Oh, she called me yesterday and said oh, tickets wow. are half price. Can I come home for Thanksgiving? So oh, now that's kid great. is on that's her great. way. Excited. Now, by the way, everybody's you know, you can, let's not forget that the folks sample these old records. Right. And there's been a generation of that too. That's so true. it is highly influenced in the music of today. Yeah, so well, that's a great true. point. It's true. Not just sample, but you know the influences that that. that Bruno no. Mars, for example. Or Black Eyed Peas did a version of the Time of My Life. You know, my record yeah. from, from uh, Dirty Dancing. They did a nice job. All right. Uh, Bob Gunnerfeld wants to know, do you have any advice for an old rock and roller? Oh, we're back to the old rock and roller thing. Uh, to help uh, compensate for tinnitus, or tinnitus as the doctors call it, mm. when mastering, the constant white noise is a challenge. Oh, Don't listen so loud, man. Yeah, well, it's too it late now. Yeah. Uh, well, there. I mean, there's treatment. I mean, you can try for certain things like that. There's, there's, that I've, I've read about. Um, but, uh, gosh, I don't know. You can't. I don't. We, we're not going to have too much knowledge about how to compensate for that. Surprisingly, a fair amount of tinnitus can be cured by actually going to the ear doctor and getting your ears deeply cleaned. People don't realize that. There's a lot that can't be fixed that way. A friend of ours. Um, 
had it really, really badly, and she spent $20,000 with a doctor in Beverly Hills, and the guy put some electrodes on her head and dosed her with all kinds of mind-altering substances, but it worked. She is actually tonight is free. So wow. Bob, sorry, she, unless you got her, twenty her grand mind is later. burned out from all the LSD. Oh yeah, he was like, giving her like <laughs> you know like but, super, super doses of Xanax. Yeah, or something. there there so is a dark side. She, she's now asleep and doesn't even know she's still got it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Don Longheed wants to know the top three things that make a song incredible. That's a good question. What are your top three? Oh, hmm. I think we actually covered some. The well, vibe. Yeah, I, I mean, if if you're talking, yeah, that's of course the. If you're talking mechanically, it doesn't say. Just well, three things that make a song incredible. One, the title. Okay. Two, the emotional connection, right? Yeah. The emotional connection. So now that can be a lot of different things. That can be "When I'm 64" by the Beatles, which is not a prototypical love song, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or it could be that song that was out, um, Say Something, what, what was mm -hmm. that, about a few years ago, is that what it was called? Mm -hmm. I saw the video on that song, I, was, I liked the song, and I saw the video, and the video was this simple, heart-wrenching video that just drew you into the song. So presentation is, of course, very important. So um, I know, no, that's not a song thing, Still, you've got to present it in a way that someone that's not musical right. can identify with. So really? I mean, you it has know, to it resonate. It has to resonate. So the that gets the vibe. Yeah, that's the vibe. And and um, whether it's the lyrics or the melody, you know, you'll get. I remember the old thing on American Bandstand because Dick would have a thing called Raider Record, mm -hmm. and you know they'd have two kids up there, and they'd play a record, and they'd say, well, so would, I give it an eighty because I can dance to it. That was an old phrase that everybody's mm -hmm. had, right? So um, sometimes when you're asking someone to cri to be a cri uh, critic, right. you'll get all kinds of different um, explanations of why they like something. But but I think the emotional connection, Diane Warren writes songs that just uh, you identify with. The lyrics, the go with the melody, all of it. So I, I don't know. I, the vibe. Yeah, right. It's the vibe. Maybe that's the whole thing. Yeah, it really the vibe. Is. The vibe. Okay. Yeah, I think Rob said it at the beginning. Just the vibe. Fair enough. Um, Bruce Edwin Lee wants to know if you'd written and recorded over a hundred songs. No, yeah. If you had written and recorded over a hundred songs with another seventy or so waiting to be recorded, what would you, what would your approach be to getting heard? So if you had a bunch of material recorded, what do you do? Yeah. I've got an easy answer. It's kind of Join obvious. Taxi. There oh, you wait. Go. You're already in Taxi. <laughs> Not necessarily. Oh. He could just be on the email list. You get, he's got to get some way to expose it. Yeah. And, and he's either got to make a bunch of lyric videos or something and put it up on YouTube, or he has to get with some people that, you know, that expose stuff. And I don't know many, but Taxi. So he's got to get to some place like Taxi. Taxi. The problem is he'll pitch these songs that he's got a hundred songs recorded. He probably recorded some of them five years ago, ten years ago, yeah. twenty years ago, and he's going to pitch them for listings that are looking for current material right. and they get frustrated. So right. you might not want to join. Well, the thing is about it's it's hard because as a writer or a producer, you know you 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 put out this body of work or you have a. a 
you know, a collection of songs that you've done, and you know, it's hard, but the truth is, is you have to be self-critical to begin with, and you can't think that everything is great. So if you've got 100 in the can and 70 to go, I mean, can you pick three and really dial them in? You know, and that's a hard decision, you know, to choose which ones, you know, when you hear the Beatles and their outtakes, and, and we're always, whenever there's a question, turn to me, turn to the Beatles and a few others, the Stones and the Beach Boys and stuff. You know, you, these guys did it consistently well. They made the decisions, mm -hmm. right? They chose the best material, they got the best performances. So I think one of the things that I've seen is that everybody tends to think that their music, right, that, the, that their work is, each song is equally good, right? They're just, and it's, it's not. Mine certainly isn't, yours isn't, yours isn't. Every, every is. one of mine is great. There's my point. It's like your kids. You can't say you like one kid no, better than hard. your other one. It's hard. But it's you got to. You, gotta, yeah, you, you know, have to be discerning. You really do. And then when you feel like you have it, you know, you have to leap. Yeah. You do. And then, and it's dangerous and it's uncomfortable. Well, and if he's got these songs and he has recorded them over a period of time, that could be okay um, if he indicates them, look, this would be for a movie or a project that is interested in this. Right. Because that can be very valuable. I mean, I've done a bunch of movies where, oh gosh, let's just say they wanted something like Louie Louie. Mm -hmm. Okay, and they're not gonna be able to afford Louie Louie. So they want something like it. Right. Okay, so it has- A similar to, vibe. Yes, it can't sound like a Today song. Right. So you gotta find somebody or create it that has that vibe, that has that sound, right? And it can be just in a bar Right, so it's not like necessarily featured right out in the front. Super disturbing fellow. He is. He's just so disturbing. <laughs> They're not playing hangman. Let's just say that. <laughs> this is my body of work, and he's, he's now. He's now. Anyway, so anyway, I'm sitting with the, two five-year-olds. Okay. <laughs> children, I work with children. Um, so the the, uh, but anyway, that can be very important. So yeah. it, perhaps a taxi. I know taxi would get things that aren't just necessarily today it's a movie. we've got the number one yeah the number one publisher of vintage music looks for i yeah, would say a that? big chunk of their catalog has actually come from taxi members and gets more placements in film and tv for our members than any other single so publisher that could be a big reason yep and and but but They've be discerning the market on that on be vintage. discerning on that you know yep one little tidbit yeah so <clears throat> so when i say 100 and you got 170 i've People have asked me, can I send you some songs? Yeah. But they send me a hundred songs. Oh, like, right, I right, mean, you yeah, gotta yeah. pick three. Right, right, right. You know, right. put your best stuff forward. Take, take and a week and off and just listen shot. to all their music. Yeah, you, that's a great idea. You've got nothing better, better to do, to yeah. do right? No, no, no. no, but if I hear one, you see, everybody that I've, I've um, signed, everybody, it started with a single song that I fell in love with. Right. You know, and then the question is, and I said this in the panel, can you repeat that? Yeah. Can I get another one that's equally good? Right. You know, the lyrics is every bit as solid. And then if I see a third one, then I know, okay. Right. Now we have a pattern. It's I not just a mistake. Right? Just got an email this morning yeah, from a point. member that saw one of our listings that was for a label looking for artists. And the label said, please send three songs so we can see if you've got any depth in your catalog. And this member used to be a member 15 years ago has my email address, sent me an email this morning, I got it like 6.05 a.m., said, do you guys put those listings in where they're asking for three songs just to get 15 bucks out of us? Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> hello, I'm going back to bed. Mm -hmm. um, 
Okay, number eight. Hi, there is some discussion about exclusive. You know what? This one is really, this is about exclusive and non-exclusive agreements. And it's not really apropos for production engineering discussion. So I'm going to save this no, one no, for No, 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 tell me. I um, like those kind. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, go, go for it. it. There's go some discussion it. about it. Not some. There's a lot of discussion about exclusive and non-exclusive publishing since the advent of TuneSat. What is your stand on this? Will publishers and music libraries only go for exclusive contracts in the near future? <clears throat> music libraries won't. Um, and even people that place songs in, you know, that are like the... Uh, Oh, not agents, but, you know, facilitators. They, right, they getting, are agents. Yeah, just, getting it out there, highly paid agents, of getting the uh, song into Days of Our Lives or right. whatever. Well, uh, but for music publishing, like Sony Music or... Right, the record Chapel, industry's version that, of a publisher. That kind of a publisher, Cobalt, all these kind of independent... The days when people used to get writer deals mm -hmm. you know and you got to write 10 songs or right, here's 100 sort. grand a year turn in 25 songs and much much harder for that now because of the way that songs are being written and if you're not getting back to your point part of a crew or yeah. part of something right camp, then whatever, it, yeah. something it is it will, then it's going to be very hard for you to do that and then your publisher is not going to be that excited about you being one eleventh of a right, song. Because which part, were you the hit part of it or were you an also ran in Yeah, the, in so so um, I, I think that if you can get someone to run with your song on a one-off basis or a two-off basis or whatever it is, and there's several places like that, mm. well, that'd be great. Obviously, you can't put the same song with five different places. There, none of them are going to do that. But, you know, on you the got, record side of the industry, you could uh, on the film and TV side. There are hard. libraries that will take stuff. Yes, on. yes, on libraries. Yeah. yeah, libraries can do that. But but if it's a song, here's I Love You Baby, and I need to try and get it in a movie, TV, commercial, something like that, you're probably going to have to go with someone exclusively because of the, the nature of it. If you've got two people doing it and they both pitch it to Coca-Cola, which could easily happen, and one of and it comes through, who, who is the one, right? So that's I've asked tough. this question at the rally, and, and as recently as <clears throat> this past rally, three weeks ago, I asked the question, um, and I said, oh, I, I was on a panel with, with a music attorney, um, Aaron Jacobson, and I forget who else I had on the panel. Anyway, I said, isn't it just the first person that crosses the threshold? I mean, you know, there's usually a timestamp in one form or another, whether yeah, you're sending it to the disco. It's messy. It is, it it's is messy. messy, but that's it's messy. It, it's, it's not optimal, but it is figure outable. I don't think a lot of people would, would. I think you'd have problems. Nobody's going to dig that. Yeah, they won't dig it, but there haven't been a lot of lawsuits about it. I, I, I agree. Don't, with I don't you. think there are a lot that happen. Because um, they sign things. They if, if you're going to do it, if Beth is going to represent something, right, she's going to do it exclusively. That's true, but there are also a bunch of libraries out there working non-exclusively, mostly on instrumental you know, pieces because they're music, inconsequential. Th yeah, that's right. I think of music libraries as the instrumental stuff. Okay. So that's my fault. So I'm thinking of that. That happens all the time. Yeah. We do it, Greg and I. So that's that happens all the time. But the uh, songs, more, more challenging, messy. It can get messy. Nobody wants a mess. How do you determine when a song is finished? That one is from William Peter. Well, it's about postponing decisions again. You can postpone. Oh, I do, yeah, if I could just get that tambourine in the second bar. 
I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I, I listen to mixes of mine now, and, and I, I've sent off things. It's final, it's final. Then I'm listening in the car, and I think, my gosh, the kick drum in the like the as it leads into the chorus, that fourth beat is. It's, how did I not hear that? It? It's not anywhere near the Have right. Have you beat. ever? Uh, my experience is every single record I've ever worked on that when I li I've never heard anything where I go, that's perfect. Ever. My, my old stuff. I don't look. I don't the Osmond stuff and Lou Rawls and some of those old things and even Dirty Dancing and stuff. I I don't look back on that and think that we could have done it any differently. Yeah. However, with the advent of Pro Tools. And, and never having to commit, I find that it's a curse for me. It's horrible. Rob, how about you? How do you know when a song is finished? damn tambourine. It's got to feel great. It just has yeah. to have the vibe. And yeah. I'll tell you, it's the imperfections that people remember. I do you know. guys come back the morning after you walk away? You go home for the night thinking, okay, that's a wrap on that. And then come back the next day and listen to it one more time? Or do you not? Perfect question. i, I got to tell you, that has changed over the years. Yeah. So if I was in the studio 20 years ago, <clears throat> we had tape running or a digital machine, and the clock is ticking. And mm -hmm. the is, clock is ticking at three, 400 bucks an hour mm -hmm. when we're mixing a record. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you know, you have to make a decision. Is that tambourine hit on the third bar of the out chorus? <laughs> A tad rushed, and you willing to spend three hundred bucks to fix it, or you right. say, "Oh, is the record company going to approve it?" And right. you know, you make that decision. You see, it's not, you know, then you then you easily then you're forced to make your priority list and knock out those things. Generally, starting with the vocal. But mm -hmm. today, but today, this is this endless <laughs> cycle of hell chasing the, the the unimportant you know is that could that reverb be just a tad darker right uh a tenth of a oh, whatever longer stop right? it and the answers to all those things is yes oh they can be all of those things and you can mix the hell out of it and you can mix the vibe out of it mm. yeah when it feels good whether it's a lyric or a melody i mean you gotta know it and that's mm. one of the hardest things is to know when it's done you have to feel it you have to it has to resonate with you. You have to know instinctively that you've got the moment. And you have to be wise enough to not kill it. And I've been in studios where I've watched it go down the toilet. I could see them reaching for the handle, mm. and that toilet started <laughs> to flush. <laughs> and the song went right down the toilet. And, yeah. and luckily sometimes we do come back the next day and we say, man, we flushed that thing right down. Let's start again or let's go well, back to... I, I, that's absolutely right. That, that, that's happened more times than... You know. you know what had happened to me? When the A&R guy from the label shows up at the end of a mix. <laughs> and the, all of a sudden the band goes into second-guessing paranoia. Oh, and and the A&R person only has to say one thing. Do you love the vocal on that? <laughs> just that is enough to send the whole thing right into the. You just nailed right. something that everybody should know, which is, and this is important to me, is be careful of the person who plants the seed of doubt. Oh Ooh. gosh, beware! Oh. I should write a book called. Can, beware. Yeah, write that one down and combine yeah, it with person. the last thing he said about a minute ago. Those were gems. <laughs> you know that yeah. takes root in the whole thing. Absolutely, and it, and it doesn't even have to be the A and R guy. 
It could be the assistant oh, yeah. who used to work at Trader Joe's. <laughs> we got stories of this stuff, <laughs> and it's happened. It's not like this is some arbitrary uh, oh, thing. Oh, no, no, no. It, no this, this is real. This is real, and it's in the movie business, and it's in the publishing business, and it's in every, it's probably in every business. But in creative businesses, the, the seed of doubt sprouts like, like uh, it grows like a palm tree, mm. you know, in, like that. And, and they can say, you know, yeah, I played it for my assistant. Sally likes music. <laughs> and, you know, she thought the bass was kind of loud, huh? Here's the you know, maybe the really? greatest example of this ever, but I won't tell you the final And you're not going to please everybody, by the way. When I was at the Criteria reunion, we were talking about when they were making uh, Saturday Night Fever, which they did there, mm. and there was a cleaning lady. Um, there was a whole family. I can't remember the husband's name, but the wife's name was Idali, and they were from one of the islands. Mm. And they were the sweetest... Uh, did you say, hello, Dolly? Uh, Dolly. And um, it was the mother, the father, and their daughter. And they would usually show up like somewhere around 11, midnight, you know, and a lot of times acts were still working through the night. Mm. So the Bee Gees were working on uh, Saturday Night Fever. It, it, I was listening to the story be told in a little circle of like six of us. And uh, I think it was Barry Gibb that invited I Dolly into the control room, uh, you know, saw her out in the airlock and said, come in, what do you think of whatever it was on the record? And she voiced her opinion, and they changed it based on what I, Dolly, the cleaning lady, said. So you're right. It's, 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 that, it's the seeds of doubt. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Okay, moving on to Kate Magdalena Willens wants to know, Hi, I just made a great record out of Nashville, mostly originals, great producer and great players. Would love to hear your guidance on marketing it and how to get it heard. That is the big question all the time, isn't it? Um, I think we answered this already earlier, so I'm not going to, sorry, uh, but we answered it earlier. Right? Social media. She's got to kill social media. And you can't just put, you know, make a Facebook page and no, Twitter no, account and no, Instagram and no. just put it up there and a couple times a week. You got to work it, you got to work it and work it and work it. There are uh, ways to develop followers and uh, you got to work it and work it and work it and work it. Because <clears throat> you got to get noticed somehow. It's, it's a, it's a, a stamp of validation to uh, anybody in the business. They're going to say, they're going to say to you, so what, do you, what's going on with you? And if you're not opening for Kenny Chesney, I don't know if this is a country record or not down in Nashville, but um, if you're not doing that, well, then it's social media because they don't really care that you're playing for 50 people at a club downtown. They, they're going to look at social media, and if you have a hundred thousand views well okay that's better than 5,000 views if you have a million that's better than a hundred thousand and and they a lot of times I mean they they're they're trolling all social media all these companies are trolling to see what's happening yep. and I mean they're, they're looking for smoke so they yeah, can pour gas on it exactly and make it into a exactly fire. so it is a big big deal and in some ways it's a great opportunity I was just talking out at um, our, our college out at CSUN mm -hmm. and and the uh, to the master class out there and somebody asked a similar question because everybody is interested in trying to get noticed right yeah. to get noticed so so um, we talked about it and you know there's there's not a lot of other ways I mean, you might luck into getting a song in a movie which would get you mm -hmm. noticed perhaps but whatever it is social media does offer an opportunity not easy. It's a combination of many things on all levels and working at it like 12 hours a day right. or more, seven oh, yeah. days a week. Absolutely. You can't expect to give somewhat of an effort because you're going to get somewhat of a result. Yeah. Uh, like my dad always says, if you treat it like a hobby, it's going to pay you like a hobby. 
Um, it's good. Yep. Yeah, that's a, that's a... I mean, this business is a grind, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, people think that I can just be talented enough because I think I'm super talented. My family and friends think I'm super talented. So some point, you know, somebody's going to hear me. And, and you gonna, are super talented. And, and they're going to think I'm a genius. And, and they're going to just like sweep me away on this magic carpet and make everything happen for me. But that's not really the way it works. I didn't pronounce it right. It was trolling. Uh, I think he meant trawling. No, no. Trolling. They go on the Internet and they troll for things. That's the deal. Yes, oh, don't be so anal, anal, damn it. Yeah. Relax. Sorry Take a chill that. pill. Yeah, okay. Um, okay, Greg Gutek wants to know, hey, guys, oh, this is great. Um, hey, guys, I've had 15 forwards over 10 years and nothing. Help. So he means forwards from Taxi. He's been, our, we have sent his music to somebody 15 times over 10 years and nothing. Help. I was just a finalist in this year's USA Songwriting Competition in the instrumental category. I'm doing something right. I have good songs, and the critiques are always saying my songs would be great in a film or TV. What gives? So Are they, are they the, all instrumental? Um, he doesn't really say. He says 15 forwards, but he talks about uh, he won in the instrumental category. So let me give this one to you, Michael, because you do music supervision. Um, let's say you run a listing with Taxi, which you obviously have many times over the years, and you're looking for... Uh, a very somber instrumental piece that's going to be played as people are walking away from a gravesite uh, at a funeral and the family is heading back to the car to go home and, and mourn the loss. So you get 32 pieces of music forwarded to you from Taxi. Um, Here's the easy answer. Yeah. The composer is going to do that. Well, I know, but let's assume the composer hasn't composed that piece, that they haven't, that that's not in the score, and you're just, maybe that was a bad example. No, but no, no, but I'm just saying anything. The, it's very hard with instrumental music. Well, not unless, a reality show. Unless it's a music yeah. library and a reality show. Right, well, that's so, what he's talking about. We're probably forwarding his music to okay, music libraries, well, and why hasn't anybody Greg said him? a couple of very interesting things because he's, when he's on the panel, you know, yeah. because he's so involved in it right and not just from a standpoint of overseeing some songs or things that come in he knows the editors he knows the producers so he's been in there he sees what they do and an editor will 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 on his you know the up and down arrow keys on the you know on right. the computer so here's q1 right down and play. He'll, he'll, he'll listen to it for two or three seconds two seconds down next one yeah down next one down next one and so the it, it's horrifying Right, but horrifying for the people creating the music because they would expect somebody to listen all the way through yeah, because they, they, they put all this effort. They in. They don't do it at all. So, right. so the the importance is knowing how to describe what you have. In very key in the title you're talking. Yeah, well, no, well, or, or describing the, like this is a, um, and you know, unfortunately, right this second, I don't know all the categories. There's there, it's like this. Yeah, it's not like tension. It's 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 not anything like that. It's very descriptive. Billboard, hip hop, no vocal. Let's just say. Right, and your metadata, so that they can see visually what exactly they, what it is. Right, and and they're because they're they're being told by some director or producer or whatever. You know, give me some of that stuff that's like on the charts right now. And then they're, they're they're looking to find that because they don't want to scroll through a bunch of different categories that aren't really that descriptive. So anyway, I, I can't tell why he unfortunately got, you know, didn't get picked up. But but the thing is, being very descriptive, 
um, and, and building your music so that there are edit points. Yeah. Right? Not just run on stuff. And you want to change. You don't He's want to probably have, got that if we're forwarding Yeah, him. yeah, maybe so. But you don't want to have 20 seconds or 30 seconds of the same exact thing. Right. It's got to constantly it's feel got, like it's moving it forward. To, it has to move. Somewhere. It has to change. It's a real difficult beast. But there are a whole bunch of people that are becoming successful from that. And I would just encourage him to maybe be maybe listen right listen to some of these reality shows that he might be interested in and and see what they're doing i've got an idea go to the road rally well, last year we had an incredible video editor that showed how she picked the oh, music gosh. laurel oh, uh ostrander she was good. amazing oh, she, she literally did two or three scenes from a reality show where she auditioned music live just like she would do in her uh, edit bay oh, wow. and picked the music and put it in there and said okay so this has a and, and basically she gave the answer which is oh, she sorry. listens to the beginning and if yeah. she hears anything in the first couple of seconds that she likes and feels like it's going to fit the scene they're not looking for the greatest composition they're looking for the right composition right. that fits, right. fits the scene Right. Does I it help that, tell I, the story? Does it help under? Um, it has to serve the picture. Yeah, yeah. yeah and does, I hope this does helps it, this guy because it's 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 a it's it's a slippery thing. But what she does is she looks at the waveform and she'll oh, she'll listen the first couple seconds and go oh okay i can see by looking at the waveform oh, that it goes somewhere uh, that it builds so then she uh, but she look she's got to like what she hears at the beginning and yeah. then she goes but if it's a flat line she knows it yeah. doesn't do what you were just oh, describing so horrifying it's it? not because when you well, see her do it you go okay it, it is for somebody sense. that's out there making this music and right. they think that the 30 so seconds they'll be looking at their waveforms yeah. before they send oh, well it, to some I know, extent they she's should right. because she's right. it's gotta she's build right. and look like it's going somewhere yeah, right but but she could be looking the next day for something that doesn't build. That's true, but most of the time in reality TV, they're looking they okay. do change, they for change the forward right. momentum, they call it. Okay, but the poor guy. I oh, yeah. That's 15 forwards. Hold forward, on a second. Forward. There's an element of chance in this thing. Yeah. And you can't ignore that. It's not, it may not How be How big anything. is the element? Is it 2%, 10%, 50%, 90%? 999 is really? chance. You and I disagree wholeheartedly on that one the chances that i that i ever met you are in the trillions to one he, and he can't get over that how unlucky he was so. <laughs> but but when you send songs um to an artist or or anybody are they going to listen to your song well we hope so but in the example that the lady just hit the button and maybe that first one was the one and his was number three so That's there isn't true. there's an element of chance that that you shouldn't always think is reflective of your work right now it could very well be that everyone's listened to the songs we just don't know that and maybe they discarded them because they thought they needed a different approach maybe or whatever but there is this element of chance which is i think what drives us all crazy to me, that's I don't that's disagree about the element of chance, but I think it's a, a small percentage. Because people want to believe that the music industry is a lottery, but you can't control the lottery. You've got no way to increase your odds. Yes, you do. you got to get really good. Here. No, throw, I'm talking about the lottery lottery. Throw, throw the dice. Right. Throw the dice. We'll okay. just, it's all chance. Throw the dice. Um, right. in, in the music industry, yes. I'm saying in the music industry, it's not a lottery because you can make great music and that gives you an upper hand. 
Oh, I don't know. Because a lot of people say, oh, it's just a lottery. It's just a matter of chance. Somebody else got luckier than me. Well, they got luckier because they wrote a better song. There's still some luck to it. Luck is when preparation meets opportunity. We've That's heard right. this a million times. Yeah. But there is this element that is chance-related. I think your example is a great one where somebody finds what they're looking for and the first thing they play, you're right, song number two or three, never going to get heard. Um, then again, they might have to go to song number 97 before they find what they like and you've been passed up a bunch of times. And see, that's the thing of, is someone going to, let's say someone sends you a CD of, um, or a cassette. I remember I got a cassette of a bunch of songs and, and there were, oh, I don't know, let's say 10 or 11 songs, 12 songs. Mm -hmm. And I'm listening to the first one, and I, it was lame. And I pushed the thing. Remember on a cassette where you could push it, and once the music stopped, it would then you could fast forward past the thing, and then it would start again? Yeah. You know, see the little gap? Right. Okay, so then I listened to the next one, and so on. It wasn't as easy as just skipping on a CD, but that's what we did. When I got to the 12th song, Right, and I was really not interested. Once, like, I listened to the second or third. I mean, I was done. Really, I got to the twelfth song, and it was "Mad About You" for Belinda. Wow. So well, I can't say that that was a bad record. That was a great one. But that was that. But the that was you know the element of chance that I just happened to be in a frame of mind to listen to, to twelve. Me, yes, I mean to get to the twelfth one. Lucky. And 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 so, so there is the element of chance in in, in that. None of us can really. It's also a numbers game. My point that I was trying to make with the guys had 15 forwards in 10 years. That it might be that, number 16 that gets it. Right, and it's also 1.5 forwards a year. So I honestly think he's not pitching enough or not working at a level that's high enough yet that he's getting more forwards. Because yeah. getting on somebody's desk 15 times, it's like, wow, I've been on somebody's desk 15 times. Why haven't I signed a deal yet? Yeah. It's not a lot of times. To, you know, I know that doesn't seem like that to the gentleman who submitted the question. But there are taxi members that have a much greater output and they're consistently good because they've really honed their craft and they know yeah. what they're pitching to and they, they've turned it into a bit more of a science, you know, where art meets science and statistics class. Mm -hmm. If it makes them feel any better, we got rejected a hell of a lot more than 15 times oh by gosh. taxi. Oh my gosh. And we just kept saying, man, we got to get better. Right. I mean, we got rejected dozens of times. He's talking about um, the, uh, uh, the high he, fields. Right, but what's you know, the name of your entity with the high fields um we call ourselves the usual suspects the usual suspects thank you i get rejected do you want to know why family. we're called the usual suspects yeah so many years ago i was in i had a number one record uh, on the charts and um i was visiting sony in new york the head yeah. guy to be unnamed and he said well why should i hire you to do records i was with my manager at the time and he didn't have a clue about me <laughs> And he said, you know, why wouldn't I just go to the usual suspects and, and, and call so-and-so and so-and-so? And I'm like, well, because I have the number one record, right? And I am thinking this, you know. But I, didn't, but I didn't have the guts to say it, you know. And I was so shocked. And I just, I want to remember this. It was so stunning to me. And I said, so when we formed our company, I said, we're going to call ourselves the usual suspects, you know. <laughs> so maybe we'll get call a gig out of this. Call the usual idea. suspects. Here. <laughs> Exactly. So the next time he says that, right. here we are. Right. The next question is from Timothy Rodansky. He wants to know, have either of you ever searched for music from Taxi, and did you use it or sign anything? Oh, I, yes. Yeah, I mean, at the road rally, there, I mean, I remember 
get finding something from some girl a few years ago, several years ago, and I said, I've got a movie I can use this in. And I used it in a movie. Yeah. Right from that. Right from there. There wasn't The one any, thing I've never been able to find you is uh, oh, your young Nat King Cole. Oh, I know. I've never stopped looking for that for it's you. so hard. So hard. Rob, how about you? Well, you know, we signed Elizabeth. Oh, that's right. What's her last name? Mall. M-A-L-L. Yep. Great writer. We signed James Coach. Wouldn't sign James, but we work with James all the time. Right. And um, He's now your, your uh, VP of A&R for your label. He helps with... Like everything, so yeah. yeah um, there's great. There's been there's been great stuff, honestly. All right, next one is from Jenna Galley, and she wants to know: Are there any keys that work better than others um, beyond just doing what's comfortable for the singer's range? Um, how much? Uh, this is a second question. So let's deal with that. Are there any keys? No, no, no. I, I I wouldn't doubt that when Ralph Murphy was still alive, he probably did an analysis of how many songs were in a certain key because he studied everything else. Yeah. But not to me. Um, Rob, anything for you? No. Um, Do you ever find yourself in the studio saying to an artist, "You know what? Let's let's take that up a half step because it just sounds like you're, you're bottoming out a little bit." Of course. Well, yeah, yeah, it happens all the time, but it doesn't. It's not like it's based on this range of the song and the singer. The, 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 um, I like a lot of times if it's band stuff or, you know, I like open keys mm -hmm. because they're guitar open keys, E, A, D. So all things being equal, you won't go E flat, maybe no. go E. No, but yet, yet, uh, uh, fun, fun, fun's in E flat. Okay. So go figure, right? And he just liked the way the guitars played hmm. in that register. They didn't play an open E down here. Mm. They played an E in a different spot. It's crazy, crazy stuff. Brian did all kinds of things like that. But so, yeah, but I like kind of open things. And Beatles songs were a lot of open tunings. They weren't playing in B. The Stones, right? The Keith Stones, Richards and same his thing. Guitar because it's all it's all based on guitar stuff, you know. And so uh, because they're guitar bands. You know, the only other consideration, which is a stretch in this day and age, is let's say you're doing a horn arrangement. You have to be aware of the lower register or the upper register of each instrument, yeah, a baritone yeah, yeah. sax, a tenor, stuff like that, you might I don't think most people consider. understand they even have a range. Yeah, a lot of people... <laughs> well, play, it's play, true. Know. A lot of people get... Can you play that on a trumpet? It's not on a trumpet. Well, go ahead and play it on the trumpet. <laughs> a lot of people get a new string library, you know, a beautiful oh. orchestral sample library, and, and they're playing viola parts on, on the fiddles, and oh, they, yeah, they sure. don't know. Yeah. Um, this... The second half of this is actually apropos. How much time do you spend exploring different chord voicings before you cut a track? I spend a lot of time thinking about the voicings if I don't feel they're right. If I could go back in time, that would be something that I think I could have done a lot better back in the day. I, I rarely ever said to anybody, you know, can you invert that? You know, just, it never crossed my mind, probably because I'm not a great player, so I've never had to do it with my hands, so it never mm. went into my brain. I would do it with vocal stacks. I could walk out to a piano and go, do, 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 there's your it happens, it happens with everything. Yeah, I mean, Voicings are a big deal. Yeah, it happens with everything. You know, uh, we were just doing some backgrounds the other day, and uh, yeah, could you invert that? Yeah. Right, just go up a step, go up a inversion. And, oh yeah, okay, that's great. So, I mean, it happens all the time, guitar, don't play it down there, play it up here, different position, mm -hmm. you know. Oh my gosh, it just all, in everything. Now, it's not so much in, well, I mean, it could be in string lines, but that's more like octaves, because they're single note instruments. 
a single note instrument, you know, is a little different. You want that to be a high line, right, or a low line. And you want the trumpet to be beep, 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 or beep, 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 right? And so those things are different, but it's still a voicing. So yeah. I, I don't know, it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere and everything. And voicings have changed. Like you can tell a song from the 70s because they tended to have particular voicings and chord structure. Yeah. For example, a lot of major sevens and things like oh, yeah. that, minor sevens. Yeah, yeah. These days you do, but the, the voicings are different. You'd leave the fifth out right. these days because it makes it sound too bright. Um, and if you listen, a great example I use when I'm communicating with uh, musicians, one of them is if is a Beatles song. Um, once I you know way to get back homeward. Once mm -hmm. I had what's that called? Golden slumber. Golden Thank slumber. You. So the piano starts on an A minor, and the voicing is A, C, and G on top, with an A and octaves on uh, A on the bass, I think. So. There's no um, there's no E in that chord. Right. Now play that that opening piano and add the E. If you I put the fifth sound. into that, it sounds horrible. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and it can totally change the mood of something. Also, uh, just by you know adding or subtracting a single note. Right. It's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Huge. It's a big deal. No, it's a huge thing. And and see the, now they weren't thinking about that. Paul McCartney wasn't thinking about that. He was thinking about just what sounds good. Yeah, you know, it just yeah. sounds good. This, this is it, and it may just be the way he kind of plays. Because see, if you have an A, a C, and a G, right? He's just playing it like this, mm. rocking it. Once there was a way, and then to get to the next chord, it may be that. It may be he may stay on. I don't know, but he may stay on the same A because it goes. To, I think a D minor. But D minor. So, yeah. so <laughs> adding. <laughs> Adding a note as a passing tone to get to the next well, chord? Well, no, no, he, he's, he's, if, what Rob is saying, you got an A, a C, and a G. Yeah. So all he has to do is, it may be that getting to the D minor is real pure by keeping the A, you move this to a D, and this comes down to an F. So it goes down, gong, jang, gong, jung, gong. And that change of that voicing from this voicing to a more triad, inverted triad, could could all of a sudden it doesn't sound like just someone pounding on the piano. Do yeah. you have that? Can you hear that in your head without actually yeah. like I, I would have to go pick it out on a piano oh, no, I, and go yeah. okay that's what I like. Whereas some people can actually hear it because their brains are wired that way. They can imagine what it would sound like and go there. Yeah, that's well, impressive to me. No, I, well, I played piano for so long, but but he's right. He's absolutely right about something like that. That you put the third in, I mean not the fifth in, and all of a sudden it sounds lame. It doesn't sound creative. Yeah, a lot of rock stuff. Let's say it's a it's an E chord, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of going to a B major, maybe you just move the bass down to a B. Right? That and brings that up creates... a whole other thing too. Is where's your bottom at? What's the bass player doing? And where's your well, kick drum tune and all that stuff? Listen to God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. Oh my God! It's, That's the song right there. <laughs> it has it's a it's a it's a D start it's a, and, and with an A in the bass. D dun, over A, dun, right? Dun, 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 B minor, dun dun dun. It's there and then it then it goes down to the seventh in the in the it's bass. Second like F sharp minor, yeah. minor six. People in the chat room, six, right? <laughs> people in the chat room are saying suspend suspend third equals fifth, or D D minor seventh suspend third equals fifth. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Forget all that. Yeah, yeah. Pay but, attention to what we're saying. Yeah, yeah, this is yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These some of these don't have names. This is yeah. It's an A minor seventh chord, but.
but it's it but it's not played like that it doesn't have the e in it and, and you know what all this goes to in the end it goes back to Susanna Doyle's question about how do I get the, or somebody asked how do I get the je ne sais quoi it's by thinking about these details the when you're vibe. cutting. It's the vibe. It's the vibe. It's it's cutting, right. it's cutting it's the, the track. So these things add up to making yeah. it easier Break to nail the, the mix. That's it's, a broken rule. That it's thing. the vibe. And um, God only knows with the chord changes in that. It, it is a, just Google the chord changes if you don't know them offhand. And um, oh, we've got nine a, minutes left in the show. No, we wow. can go. As, it's your show. You can extend. There's no commercial break. Okay. I gotta go eat. Okay, so I <laughs> that's right. We have barbecue in our future. <laughs> um, okay, uh, do you guys uh, prefer taking a direct on a bass when recording a bass? Do you record direct or with an amp or just the amp? Go ahead. If it's me playing, I I put it in direct into one of Aspen Pittman's old. Uh, eight tube tube preamps, <clears throat> and I put it in direct. But it's Didn't a particular. Didn't he just pass away he recently? Did. Yeah, tragedy, horrible. Like weeks ago, yeah, right? Yes, horrible. And 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 he was the greatest guy. Oh, anyway, so I plug it in, and it, you can control the rise time of the tubes and all kinds of stuff. Wow. So, <clears throat> to me, <clears throat> with with the bases that I have, an old Rick and a, you know blah blah. Anyway, it's amazing, and they're so even, so even. Now I've also used a plug-in on that too, base cabinet plug-in. Yeah. <clears throat> but you know, I think it's because I'm mostly lazy. I mean, I have all the stuff there, but I think I'm lazy. How about you, Rob? I mean, I've recorded <clears throat> basses in different ways. If it's me playing, and that's it's great that yeah. you say that. If it's me playing, I I tend to um, I tend to run it direct and I run it into an LA-3A. Yeah, right. Um, there I am, me too. I, I, run, I run it into an LA-3A and a, and a, and a DBX-160. The two cool. greatest limiters on the planet. Yeah. Rob and I talk but about I this run, endlessly. I do it tandem. Mm. And so, you know, and, I, and, and this particular bass, I just, you can just barely touch. It's just when you say phenomenal. tandem, are you talking? Yeah, plug out one? of the LA two A into the DBX. Wow. Okay. No, I mean that's a, yeah. that's a common thing. Yeah. Like, into one LA. Right. Three I just wanted to make sure he wasn't <laughs> talking about you know, yeah, doing no, a parallel. No, no, no. You're no. talking about serial. two two at the same time. Okay. But Nate, on the other hand, you know, about two years ago, I was in Guitar Center and I said, and we've been searching, you know, for a good bass sound, that, mm -hmm. you know, this retro thing, you know, and I oh, I was in Guitar Center and there was a good price on an old vintage flip top Ampeg oh, amp, amp, you know. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. I'm like. If you don't, you know, I know you've been asking me, this is it. If you don't come down here and buy it, I'm buying it, you know. And he bought it and Did he's it using good? it. And, <laughs> it sounds incredible. So you, you've mic'd it. What do you mic it with? Well, he's using it. I would mic it if I had a, you know, 47. Oh. I'd use a 47 yeah, on the amp okay. like Paul did. But, yeah. uh, or 67 is fine too. I have the bass amplifier that McCartney used to use. It's a T160. Uh, T60, excuse I me, T60, know. Vox, oh. T60, and it's a, a little upright amp. It's got a 12 and a 15 speaker in it, and it was a transistorized top, hmm. small top. It looks like just a little tiny miniature uh, beetle amp, you know, those are the big ones. Yeah. It's like a little one. And I got to tell you, I played bass out of it. I never used it for bass. I use it for guitar. I used to use it on the Ozzin records and play the solos through it, crank hmm. it, you know, and it, it sounded great. But the point is, you can see him on stage at in Washington and various places at the beginning mm. when that was the amp he used. I'm telling you, if it were right here, you could talk louder than it is. Wow. 
I, I don't know how it possibly could have worked in the in the cavern or anything. It's just interesting. It's just it's just not that loud. And uh, Vox eight these AC thirties are pretty loud amp. Cranking. So I I don't know how it was, but that's what it was. That was the bass amp. My old boss in New York, Howie Schwartz, you recorded there uh, many many years ago. He bought one of Jerry Garcia's old Ampeg flip-top bass amps, and actually the little plastic thing that came up and lit up said yeah, Jerry yeah. on it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh and, and I got to say, I used that thing on a number of occasions and could not get a good sound out of it. I don't know. Maybe that's why Jerry didn't keep it. Um, next question is from Hermie Whitesbush. Uh, which speakers do you prefer to mix on? Oh, easy. NS10s. Okay. 30 years and counting. <clears throat> Never going to change. Not a chance. How about you? I have NS10s driven by an old Mac tube amp, a 240 Mac tube amp, and they sound pretty good. I also have some Yamahas that I've been using a lot for some years that are uh, that are powered speakers, yeah. and I'm used used to them. And then I have some old Genelex, the big Genelex mm. that people used to get. I have those too. And Sometimes I'll listen to the Genelex a little bit, but I never got onto them. I think that the easy answer is whatever you get onto. Yep, and get that's, used to it. That's, to know the, it yeah. that's somehow, yeah, get used to it. And, and then you've got to understand how it translates outside of your environment. Right. Because if in your environment you're used to the bass sounding a certain way, as long as that way translates out of there, you're fine. But if coming to your place, it, it sounds like there's too much bass, and as a result, you shy off on the bass. Mm -hmm. When you take it somewhere else, you may be way undercutting the bass. So you got to understand your place and how it sounds in the world. It's funny, people think that there's like a magic pair of speakers <clears throat> that will make their stuff sound glossy oh, and wonderful. No. But I, no. Some manufacturer, I can't remember the brand, but it, it's not an A brand. Somebody in the industry, about seven or eight years ago sent me a pair of like baby ns10s it's got a six inch or no actually a four inch woof in it wow. and a little tiny dome tweeter and they sound reasonably good they was actually made to put an ipod it has a socket for an ipod on oh, the top okay. they're self-powered <clears throat> and it's like okay sounding and i've got them on a desk in the loft in our house and i've taken i've got um the multi-track the eagles take it easy on mm -hmm. my laptop yeah. and i've done mixes of that on those monitors and taken it out and listened in my car and listened to it through a TV set and got to know what those you know where their deficiencies were in those monitors. You could make a record on those things. Yeah, you got to so, be intimate with your monitors. You really have to know what they do. Yeah. And one thing I never liked were those little square ones. What were they called? Horror tones. I was oh, just going to talk about I those. those horror very, tones. I never could. <laughs> I never could figure it out. No, those, yeah. So some I, there's a very famous mixer that that mixes the records on a mono. Or a tone. Who? In, uh, JJP? I, I can't tell you. Okay. okay. I can't tell you. But I swear to God it's true. And this <laughs> record sounds amazing. Don't ask me how. He just knows that yeah. speaker. Yeah. You know? yeah, it's amazing. Not enough people use mono, by the way. I'm not saying they should mix their records in mono, but they should check stuff in mono. Nobody yeah, ever I, does that anymore. I check it all the time. Yeah, back in the day, man, consoles had a mono button, and you always checked everything in mono. It's amazing I, how much I, stuff I, would I go I do away. like the NS10s, though. Yeah, I mean, all the mixers use NS10s. They all have, have a Do you have pad. tissue paper over the tweeter? Nope. You don't? Kim wipes. Wow. You can't just use regular tissue paper. No, you got to use Kim wipes because they sound I have, better. <laughs> I, have, I have tissue paper that's been there for 25, 30 years. 
Those uh, NS10s behind you are 30 years old. Hmm. I've yeah, never blown paper. them up. Yeah, okay, uh, two We're more questions stretch. to go here. We are in the home stretch. Uh, this one is from Heath DeFug. Sorry, Keith. Heath. <laughs> um, Heath wants to know, can either or both of you give me some advice on getting an artist to cut a song that they don't like, but I'm sure it's a hit for them. That's a great question. It's, it's, so, it's so unbelievably frustrating because... <laughs> this you, is great! You have, you, have, you have no idea. I mean, not only has it happened once to me, it's happened two, three, four, five times. Where you hear something, you know but, it's a hit for that artist, but no, but you it, can't but, get them to fall in love but with it. But it went on and became a hit. Interesting. It, it wasn't a question. Did you of, rub it in their face? Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I have... I so have how'd new, you get them to cut it? New, new, they never cut it. Oh, it went they on to be a hit it. for somebody it else. Oh, I'll, that's even better. Here's the perfect story. I'll tell you just one. <laughs> okay. Okay. So uh, a very, very important dear friend of mine um, from when I was like 15, 16... Uh, when, was with us at MGM and so forth. On he now he's down in, in uh, um, Memphis at Sounds of Memphis. Okay, right? and he sends me a song, written by George Jackson, who wrote One Bad Apple for the Osmonds. So uh, he says George, who wrote One Bad Apple, he wrote this song. What do you think? And I said, Gee, uh, you should do it with. And I'm not going to name the artist because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But this was like in the, I don't know, late 70s or something. Huge artist. And it was perfect for them, just perfect. He wanted to be a little edgier and so forth. It was perfect. And I said, it's perfect, but the lyric has to be changed. It's not quite right. Let me, if, you, if it's okay, I don't want any credit. Just let me rewrite the lyric so that it works for this artist. And I'll do a new demo and let me try because I think it's great. Okay, so I do all of that. He hates it. I said, I, I really think this is exactly what you're talking about, what you need. It's going to be great, blah, blah, blah. He hates it. <clears throat> this goes on for several, not several weeks, but a handful of weeks because we were coming up to record. You, you should do this song. I, I don't want to do this song. Okay. So I call my friend back and I said, I, I did everything I can. I'm so sorry. I, I just don't understand it. it it's a, ideal for him. I really didn't understand it. And um, he says, well, can I use your demo? I want to pitch it. Um, I sure, sure, absolutely. Here's the, uh, you know, the lyric, no email then. You know, I mailed him the lyric. Right. And here it is. I sent him the thing. Okay, what's the song? He takes her old records off the shelf. <laughs> oh my God. And I mean, that song would have lived forever, right, with my artist doing it. And I was so sad about that because it was, and they just used my changes. Now, it doesn't make me bright. It, it, or anything like that, I did it because I thought that that would be more con more perfect for my guy, mm -hmm. right? And but as it turned out, it was also okay for Bob Seger. Sure yeah. was. He did okay with it. Yeah, and it's in the Sound of Memphis book and all. I mean, they have like a you know thing about it, and I I, I it's just. Well, you're gonna love this one. Mike. All right. So I was working with a major <coughs> artist, not to be named, and I had this song, and I my assistant gave it to me on a cassette and I always remember when I hear the hits where I was in the moment I can tell you the whole I was in my car driving on the 101 North and I heard it and I called the artist I said I have your number one hit we go in this we put it on hold in those days you could put a whole song on mm -hmm. hold right. for a period I think of you time. still can at least in Nashville yeah, yeah they gotta call 11 people 
<laughs> we cut the song, and she said, I, said, I don't know, boo, I think I need a it needs a bridge. And I said, hey, it doesn't need a thing. Dragging, dragging the feet. And then the hold goes off the song. Mm. And you guys got the song, and it was I Need You from Leanne. Oh, oh really? Wow, that was great. Wow. When I heard that oh, lyric, wow. I went crazy. I got on the phone. I said, this is your number one. And oh, of course, yeah. it ended up being a What is it? One. I need you like a... Like uh, water, like yeah. breath, oh, like yeah, rain. Yeah, yeah, I need yeah. you like mercy Where'd the song come at from? Heaven's Gate. Uh, my assistant gave it to oh, me, okay. and he got it from the songwriter. Because uh, my assistant knew I was doing the record. And, and, and by know? the way, you did some stuff with Leanne. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're very grateful. Oh, I'm grateful. Do you know... <laughs> that my former business partner, Jaime, many, many years ago, mm -hmm. came to me with a video of this 10-year-old girl at a county fair somewhere in Texas singing her butt off. And he said, I think we should give this girl a membership. She's really talented. I said, she's 10 years old. It's years before she's going to get signed. It was Leanne Rimes. It wasn't too many years. She I got know, she was, she was 13 when she, she got, got turned down everywhere. She, she, she was around. I mean, yeah. She was around. She worked. And, classic and, example of working your butt off for a long period of time until luck she, happens. You know, Bruno I, Mars, same thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah Everybody grinds it out, yeah. you know. I'll, I'll tell you, when, but Leanne, Leanne was um, a very unusual. She was, when we got her, about 13, I think. And, and she was, um, you know, she was taller. She wasn't like a little girl. Yeah. She 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 had and she had a voice like she was twenty five or thirty or something. I mean, she had Patsy Cline kind of voice. God given butter. voice. I mean, just incredible. I saw her at the American Music Awards where she sang um, um, uh, at, at the at this the first like thing that she was doing. Yeah. And oh my gosh, I mean the 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 crowd went crazy. There, it was just one of those undeniable things, you know, like Reba McIntyre. I remember at an American Music Awards some point, this is years ago, and and there were a bunch of, uh, oh, you know, hip-hop artists at the time that came out, or rap artists, and what they were doing their thing, and, you know, it was a lot of people on stage, and, you know, production numbers and stuff, really great. She came out on stage in this red sequined dress. Reba. Yeah. And just stood there and sang whatever her hit was at the time, and and mesmerized everybody. You know, and it was just one person on stage with that thing. And, and it doesn't mean that the other people that had the production numbers weren't good. They're just different. Mm. Right, it was just different. But for one person to hold the stage like that, oh, it, oh my gosh. That's a, a gift, and very few people have it. Gentlemen. You, you, you have it. You hold the taxi stage. That's right. <laughs> you do indeed. <laughs> you guys. Great crowd rally this year. Yeah, thank it was great. You. Hey, thank everybody, you, come you. next year to the rally. Rob and I will be there. Yes, God as will I. <laughs> and, 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 and apparently Michael will too. Yes, I and um, and by the way, he's preparing for it now. Yes, we already started. We <laughs> did yeah. about four days after this huge yeah. rally. We all crowded into Angel's office and we did a couple hours of what we could have done better, what we could refine for next year. And I've already started my list of potential panel topics for next year. Oh, good. And I will let them marinate for a year. Where did I do? Here we go. Oh, and by no, the I, way, you know, everybody, your staff, the whole thing, oh, man, everybody was amazing. They were so. amazing. And that contributed to that vibe that I, I mentioned at the beginning of everybody having a comfortable time. I think it was great. What does it say? Goodbye. <laughs>
subscribe and don't forget click that little bell sucker up there in the upper right hand corner what so you get do? you get alerts when we're gonna have oh, a show okay um now do you have to be a member to see this no anybody in the world can see this wow. and millions of people are watching right now wow. millions I'm minus, minus nine um okay so well there you have it these are my notes i'm going to read my notes there you have it you learned a bunch of great stuff from these two incredibly talented producers which you guys are mm. um if you have any follow-up questions please post them in the comments below and i will beg them to give me some answers that we can answer your questions comments below the video like right below where that picture you please can... do it because we really enjoy him begging that's true um next week's show somebody just informed me right before this show started that they can't do next week so something i've wanted to do and i haven't done for probably three or four months now is i would love to do a split screen live interview with a taxi member from Anywhere. Um, all I ask is that you have a really good internet connection so that we don't get flaky, glitchy stuff. Um, and send an email to taxitv at taxi.com. That's taxitv, easy to spell, at taxi.com. And say, uh, in the subject line, say guest for next week's show. And send us a paragraph why you would be a great guest and some potential things we could talk to you about. And I look forward to reading all cool, of those. That's cool. Um, if you'd like to post those in the comments section below the video, we'll check there for um, potential guests for next week. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you who live in the United States. Rob, thank you very much, buddy. Thanks Good to for see you, Michael. Me. Thank you. Thank you as always thank for you. driving over the hill. And we are the three amigos. <laughs> <laughs> Three wild and crazy guys. Wild and crazy guys. We are going out for barbecue. See you guys next week for another exciting episode of Taxi oh TV Live. God. Yeah, baby. Woo